we are uh, starting a new series today. We're going to be spending the next couple of weeks talking about money, finances, stuff, things. And um, uh, I recognize that tends to make people a little bit nervous, okay? Like, uh, even like in any context, in any setting, it's like you start talking about money and sometimes it's like, yeah, I don't like this, especially in church. You're sitting like this and there's a guy up front with a microphone on his face. And you're like, I don't care what that guy says. I'm not listening to anything. It's my money. Like, you're not getting a dime from me. And I get that because um, certainly churches have kind of used and abused the area of money um, throughout kind of history to, to get things. And so kind of to start the series off, before we even jump into the content for today, let me try to ease all of our nerves a little bit and just uh, let, let's just address some of those things. Uh, that this is not going to be a series where it's just week after week, we're like, give your money, give your money. Ah. Like, we'll talk about generosity because that's an important thing. Um, it, it, we're, we want to take a holistic approach to our, our stuff, our things, our, our finances. So it's not going to be about just give it, give it, give it. I'm not going to make any obscure, like, ripping verses out of context kind of claims and be like, you know, if you just give this money to the church, God is going to bless you beyond belief. We're not going to do that, okay? Like, that's, that's not where we're going. We want to look at, at kind of a holistic uh, approach to money. And maybe you're asking, okay, you're saying, okay, that, that's good. I feel a little better, but why talk about this at church? Um, I'd rather you not, Phil, okay? Can we just, can we not? Uh, and I get that. I'd rather not talk about it. How about that? You'd rather not hear about it, and I'd rather not talk about it. Um, but the reason we feel like we need to is because our mission as a church is this. We want to inspire people to follow Jesus. Like, when we get together, we're not trying to, like, pull the wool over on anyone's eyes. We're not going to bait and switch you. We're not going to try to hide what we're here to do, or you're here, you're watched online. We want to inspire, not force, not convince, not coerce, because we can't force anybody to follow Jesus. But we want to come together to say, hey, like, we think Jesus is beautiful. We think he's awesome. We think he'll make your life, like, so much more full and rich. We want to inspire you to follow Jesus. And follow is the operative word. Because the invitation of Jesus in the New Testament and also today is, hey, come follow me. Not come believe in me or be a part of like a religious gathering. I mean, church is good, belief is good, but come follow me with your life. That flows out of the primary claim in the New Testament, by the New Testament authors, the primary claim they make about Jesus is not the statement that maybe we might think it is. If you've been in or around church at all, you might think it's like, well, that Jesus is savior and that he saves us from our sins. That's all true and that's all really important. But that's not the primary claim that they make about Jesus. The primary claim is Jesus is Lord. It's that he's Lord. And as Lord, he saves and he does lots of other things. But his primary, like who he is, he's Lord. He's, he's the, uh, the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the king. In fact, you know, we often, you know, we hear Jesus Christ. And, and that term Christ, it's not, you know, it's not part of his name. It's actually his title. It's like this Greek transliteration of the Hebrew idea of Messiah. It means he's God's final anointed king. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, right, that means for us, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is king, it, it ultimately means he's our final authority on everything that we do in every area of life, including our money. We say, yep, I'm following you. What do you have to say about this? What direction are you pointing me in? And so that's for, for those of you that are here, you're like Christian, you're followers of Jesus, you're watching online. If maybe you're here or you're tuning in and you're like, okay, I I'm not really a Christian. I'm, I've got questions. I'm exploring. Maybe you used to be a Christian. You walked away. You're coming back. You're trying to re-engage faith. You're exploring. Here's the really, really good news for you. You don't have to do any of what we talk about today. You don't have to do any of what we talk about over the course of this series. In fact, you can come every single week and go, huh, so that's how Christians are supposed to think about money. 
They're not doing it. Like, you can do that. You can absolutely do that. You don't have to do any of this, but I invite you to try. And here's, here's why. Is that we believe that following Jesus will actually make your life better and make you better at life. Not easier, because it's not, it's not always going to be easier. In fact, who knows that this is true for most things in life. The things that are better are rarely easier. But there's something about following the Jesus way that when it relates to all areas of life, it's like, okay, life is going better. It may be more like a little bit harder, but like there's more contentment, there's more joy, there's more peace, there's more love, there's these things. It's like following Jesus just makes me better at life. And we think that's true in the area of finances as well. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it's like, this is how we do things. If you're exploring, it's like, hey, this is what uh, you're invited into. And it's really, really good news, actually, that Jesus has something to say about this because money is a huge part of life. You can't go like probably an hour in your day and not interact in some way or another with like money or finances or wealth or having to buy something or borrow something or go to work, right? Like we know about going to work. Like the reality is we got bills to pay. You know, we, we, got, we, we got to eat and live indoors. You might even say we have bills to pay. We have mouths to feed because ain't nothing in this world for free. Thank you for those of you that, that know that song. Like, that was great. There we go. Um, but yeah, like, that's just the reality. It's just a part of life. It's part of life. And not only is it part of life, but for so many people, like, study after study, you talk to so many people with, like, the, the top things in life that cause the most stress, that cause the most pain, that cause the most anxiety, always really high on the list is it's money. It, it's finances. It's what's going to happen. And that's, like, on a personal level and kind of a societal level. Like, personally, we're like, can I pay the bills? Can I make ends meet? Are my kids going to be okay? Am I going to set them up? But then societally, we're like, oh, no, like, the economy and a recession and inflation and unemployment. What are we going to do? And we lose sleep and we freak out, right? Like, that's just the reality for many of us. And I say us because, like, that's me included because I go down that rabbit hole sometimes. I'm like, oh, gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, and so it, it caused a lot of stress, caused a lot of pain. And again, study after study shows that it, it majorly impacts our relationships. Um, that one of the primary like points of tension in relationships tend to be like arguments and disagreements about money. That, that data over years and years and years is like always one of the top reasons that people cite for, hey, here's why the relationship ended, here's why we got a divorce, is disagreements and fights over money. And so it's a crucial, crucial part of life. It's so central in life. So we need to talk about it because honestly, as, as uncomfortable as it can be sometimes, as big of a thing as it is in life and as much pain as it can potentially cause and how it can mess up relationships, I couldn't stand up here with a straight face and tell you, hey, as a church, we love you, we care about you, we want what's best for you, and then never talk about this because we'd be lying. And not only do we think it's important to talk about because we love you and we care about you, but also, it's important to talk about in our eyes because Jesus talked about it a lot. Jesus actually talked about money and wealth and possessions a lot. He told about, um, depending on the count, different scholars will say somewhere between 35 to 38 parables. So Jesus, a parable is these stories that Jesus told. Like his whole thing was, his announcement was, hey, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's here. And the kingdom of God, it's the, it's the rule and reign of God. And he's like, the rule, the reign, the goodness of God is breaking into reality in the person of Jesus. And so he would go around telling stories to illustrate that. And so he'd say, hey, the kingdom of God is like, and he'd, he'd tell a story that would either uh, explain something about like what the kingdom was like or what people of the kingdom are supposed to be like. And of those 30-some parables that he told, 16 of them, a little less than half, had to do with money, wealth, or possessions. Jesus talked about this a lot. But here's what's really fascinating. As much as he talked about it, as much as he talked about money, he never actually asked for any. 
Like there was never a point where he's like, all right, let me, let me give you this teaching. And now uh, if I could have the disciples stand up and pass the baskets. Like he never, I mean, the fishes and loaves baskets, but like, like, you know, the offering baskets. There was never like, okay, we're going to receive a special love offering today here after the Sermon on the Mount. Like Jesus, he, he never did that. And so that should make us go, wait a minute, why, why, like, why would you talk about it that much if money's not what you were after? You must be after something else. What's the something else that he's after? That's where we're going in this series. That kind of more like big picture. Like what, what is it, like what would Jesus say to us in this, um, in this area? And so the series is called If Money Talked. Um, it's called If Money Talked. And, and we're going to be taking this kind of perspective or this angle of asking the question, if our money could talk to us, what advice would it give us? Because so often we're the ones that are like, hey, money, I need you to buy me groceries or go to the store or get some gas in the car. I need you to pay the mortgage. I need you to go into savings. I need you to pay for this vacation. Um, but if it could say, hey, I have some advice for you, what would it say? And, and the way we'll be kind of approaching that then is what we'll discover, maybe surprisingly, is a lot of the advice that maybe our money would give us sounds a lot like what Jesus said when he talked about it. And so each week what we're going to do is like, hey, if, if money could talk, it would say this, and then we're going to look at something that Jesus said um, and apply it to our lives. I do just want to mention, uh, as we work through this series, if you would like to go a little bit more in depth, maybe you want to uh, study it at home on your own, or if you're in a community group, a small group, a group of friends or something, you'd like to do a study, there is a four-week study that goes along with this series called If Money Talk. There's an app that goes with it as well by Andy Stanley. So if you want to go a little bit deeper, ask some discussion questions. That's where you, find, uh, where you find that. So today, if money could talk, it would tell us this. This is our big idea, idea for the day. Money would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. I can add meaning or value to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I mean, that, that first part, like I can add meaning to your life, it'd be, it'd be lying to say, well, no, because like sometimes... You hear people talk about it in a religious context. We go to that other extreme, like money doesn't matter. Stuff doesn't matter. It's of no value at all. And it's like, well, that's nice that you think that, but I live in the real world. (laughs) And in the real world, there is a sense in which money can add value. It can add meaning to your life when it's viewed the right way, but it is not the meaning of life. In other words, our things, I'm just gonna say money a lot because it's just gonna be shorthand, but that's, that's money, that's wealth, that's our house, that's our car, it's the stuff that we have that we hold on to. Like, money's a tool. Our things are just a tool to be used, and it can be used for some great things, but it's just a means to an end. It's not the thing that life orbits around. It's a means to an end. It's not the end in and of itself. And oftentimes we fall into the trap of flipping that. Like when money is a means to an end, an end that's bigger than us, something that's greater, it has a purpose, it it works out really well. But sometimes we flip it and we make money the ends and we try to get it by any means. And then there's the stress and there's the anxiety and there's, I'm gonna look at people as just a, instead of seeing money as a tool to maybe bless people, I'm gonna see people as a tool to get more stuff. Right, but money is just a tool. It's a tool that's to be used in a particular way, to be used for something just bigger than ourselves or our own little world. And so we're gonna look at a parable that Jesus told today um, that illustrates this point. So we're gonna be in the Gospel of Luke. We've got four accounts of the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospel, or sometimes they're called Gospels, but really it's just one Gospel. Gospel just means good news. It's the story about uh, Jesus, about King Jesus and his kingdom. It's, it's the, the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and how through that, the kingdom of God is crashing into 
reality. We've got four different tellings of this story, all the same good news, but Matthew has a version of it, Mark has a version of it, Luke has a version, John has a version. They all tell it with slightly different details, with different audiences in mind, but they all have the same thrust, the same focus, and the focus is on the person of Jesus. And so uh, in Luke's account, um, Luke writes a very particular way. Luke was a first century doctor, um, and he was not uh, one of the original disciples of Jesus, so not one of his first 12 disciples. He may have been part of the larger crowd or group of people that followed Jesus. We're not really sure. He may have come uh, along a little bit later, Um, but what we do know is that he knew the disciples. He knew the eyewitnesses. He starts his gospel account by saying, hey, I've talked to like the eyewitnesses, I've done the research, and I've put together this orderly and chronological account of what has happened among us. Uh, because there were lots of, lots of people talking, lots of rumors, lots of, hey, did you hear about this Jesus guy? Did you hear the thing he did? Yeah, I heard he died. I, I heard he rose from the dead. No, he did raise from the dead. I saw him alive, right? There's all these accounts floating around. And so when Luke opens his gospel, he says, uh, since many have undertaken uh, to, to record what's happened among us, he's like, I- I've decided to put together an orderly account so you can know uh, what it is that, that you believe. And so he goes about that. He puts together this account of the life of Jesus. Within that account, lots of teachings of Jesus, And in Luke chapter 16 is where we find this particular parable. Luke 16, starting in verse 1, we read this. That Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so right off the bat, we kind of know that this is a parable or a story that he's making up, just kind of how he he starts to say it. And again, the disciples who've been following him for a while at this point, they're familiar with his teaching. When Jesus starts to say something like, there was a rich man, they're like, oh, we know what this is. He's about to teach us something or tell us something um, about the kingdom. You know, once there was a rich man, a long, I mean, we, we do this now, right? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, in a faraway land, right? Like, he's like, okay, there, well, just imagine, dream with me, think with me for a second, fellas. There was once a rich man, and this guy is so rich, he's so wealthy, he's got so much, that he's actually got to hire somebody else to take care of his stuff for him. He's like, okay, I've got too much. I need you to oversee the accounts. I need you to oversee, you know, like the, the people that owe me money and my, my real estate and my, my personal finances. They keep, keep track for me. But this particular manager wasn't very good at his job doesn't really say what he did exactly that he was accused of wasting the possessions, but it's like, like whether you were just made poor investments, you weren't paying attention, you had a bad work ethic, you were dishonest, were stealing, like whatever it is, he was doing a poor job. He was not, um, he was not a good manager. And so the, the, the rich guy calls him in and he asks his manager, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And so he's like, listen, I've heard some reports. I've been reviewing, you know, your, your, your productivity. I've been talking to your supervisor, whatever. Like, we can put that in modern language. And let's just say it's, just not, it's not going well. This isn't a good fit, okay? Like, you're, you're fired. We are going to free you up to pursue other opportunities would be the nice way of saying it, okay? Like, you know, it's just, you're just not a good fit. It's not you, you know, but maybe, maybe something else is better. Like, you can't be manager because you're just... You're not representing me well. You're not being like wise. You're not stewarding this well. But before you go, notice what he says, to give an account of your management. And so it's like, you're fired. You're losing this job, but you can stay on with us until the end of the week or the end of the month. You know what I mean? Like, like you're, you're fired, but in the meantime, what I need you to do is, is get together, like, all, like get all the books together. I need you to write down. I need, I need your final report on my desk whenever you pack up and leave. Because I need to know exactly what's going on so we can get this you know, passed on to the next guy and, and, and he can pick up where you left off. So you're fired, 
but you've got a little bit of time. You've got a little bit of a window where I need you to do something. And so the manager says to himself, well, what am I going to do now? What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. Now, what, what, what am I, I going to do? Like, physical labor, that ain't in my wheelhouse. And many of the people said amen, right? <laughs> like, like, physical, like, I, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I've got my pride. I can't just beg. And it doesn't say this, but I think the implication as well is like I'm being fired from this managerial position. There's no way I'll get this job again with anybody else because I have a terrible reputation. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to survive? And so he, he comes up with a plan. He formulates a plan, and he says, I know what I'll do so that when, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses when. This is this becomes kind of like the key point and what, where the tension in the passage is, is the fact that this has to do with time. I know I'm losing my job and I've got you know, a few days or weeks or whatever left, and the, but there's a clear end date. I have a limited amount of time before I'm jobless. What can I do in the meantime to make sure that when I do lose my job, I'll be okay? And so I know what I'm going to do. I have a plan. And so he called in each one of his master's debtors. Now, Jesus is going to give us, um, in this this story that he's telling, he's going to give us two examples of these debtors. The implication is, though, that there's a a lot more. This this is a rich man who owns a lot of stuff. He's got lots of wealth, probably owns lots of property and different things. And and so he's like, I'm going to give you an example of how two of these conversations went. Because, again, this is a, a story that Jesus is making up. It's not a true story. He's just proving a point. So he's not going to be like, okay, and here are 127 examples of what the, what the manager did. He's like, no, I'm going to give you two, and you get the point, right? So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Okay, that is a lot of olive oil. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I just read that, and I'm like, good golly, what did you do with 900 gallons of olive oil? It's, it's crazy, and olive oil is expensive. You guys ever try to buy olive oil? A little bottle, like, anyway, 900 gallons of olive oil, and the manager told him, okay, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it, mm, let's say 450. And so it's like, you got to do this quick, because this is like, this is a limited time offer, okay? Like, this is, like, I'm going to make you a deal that you can't refuse. Like, act now and get it at 50% off. Call within the next 20 minutes, and we'll give you your 900 gallons of olive oil for the price of 450, right? Like, it's just like, this is an incredible deal. And we're not told how the guy that owes the 900 gallons, how he responds, but we can imagine. It's like, wow, thank you so much. That's so, that's so nice of you. That's so great. Man, this is a, I can't believe it. Hey, if you ever need anything in the future, just let me know. And the money manager's like, I will, okay? Sooner than you think, actually. And then he gives the second example. He said, here's what he asked the second one. How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. Wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it mm, 800. And so it's not like it's 50% off everything. He's like, okay, you, you only get 20% off. And I'm like, I'd hate to be that guy. I'd rather be the first guy, but okay. But still, that's a, that's a big deal. He's like, 20% off if you pay it now. And again, it's like, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And again, you can imagine the reaction of, of the guy that owed the 1,000 bushels of wheat being like, wow, thank you. That's incredible. If you ever need anything, I'm your guy. You know, you can cash in this IOU. And he's like, I will, I will. And, and so, you know, this, this continues. 
and it said that the master uh, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And you're like, wait, what? What? This is like, that's not how it should go. Because cause here, cause here's what's happening. Jesus actually set up some incredible, incredible tension here. As he's telling this story, as he's going about things, and there's this whole crowd of people that follow Jesus, and there's all kinds of different people, right? There's rich people, poor people, religious leaders, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, carpenters, fishermen, like massive crowds of people from every walk of life are following and listening to Jesus. And in the crowd that day, there probably would have been one group of people that were like, that they're hearing what this money manager is doing and giving this great deal. There's one crowd that probably owed money that didn't have much. And they're like, we love this guy. This is great. This is like Robin Hood, okay? This is awesome. And then the, there's another crowd of people that are a little wealthier, that have a little more awe, a little more well-to-do. They're, they're better off. They may have some power, some status in the society. And they're like, this is awful. Like, this guy is terrible. But both groups of people would be thinking the same thing. This guy is in so much trouble when the manager finds out. Right? They're like, this is, there's just, there's no way. There, there, there's no way that this guy is going to get off scot-free. There's no way he's going to not, there's not going to be major ramifications or consequences for this. He's going to end up in jail or worse. Because not only was he a bad manager and he's getting fired for that, now on the way out the door, he's basically robbing the guy that he works for. Like, he's like, I'm going to just, you know, embezzle 450 gallons of olive oil on the way out the door. Like, this is essentially what he's doing. He's, he's, he's just doing these terrible, terrible deals. And so everyone is expecting the, like, the, the story to go, and now, here's what happens, da-da-da, he en- ended up in jail, he was tortured, he was executed, whatever. That's why Jesus, when he tells stories, he's so brilliant at it. Because he gets people like, on the edge of their seats to go, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, we all know what's going to happen. And then he's like, you think you know what's going to happen, I'm going to flip it on its head. I'm going to flip it on its head. And he says, here's what actually happens. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, if you're like me, when you read that, you're kind of mad, right? You're kind of like, what? That's not cool. Like, what do you mean he commended him? That's not okay. He shouldn't get like a pat on the back for that. And there's a couple of things happening here. Again, one, Jesus, like he's telling a story. This is made up. He's telling a story to make a point. But he he lets us know why he commends the manager. He doesn't command him for being commend him for being a good manager. He's getting fired for being a bad manager. He doesn't commend him for like the ethical decision he makes. Nowhere does he say, that was great, good for you, you're a great human being. Like he never says that. In fact, I mean, again, it's a made up story, but I would imagine, no, that this guy would probably get in trouble. Like there would probably like some, some consequences for these behaviors, but he commends him because of him acting shrewdly. Now shrewd isn't necessarily a word that we use all that often, or shrewdly. In fact, it's one of those words that you, the more you say it, the weirder it sounds. So I'm gonna try not to say it that often. But like, he acts, it means, it means to act like with, with wisdom and like being very decisive. It's, it, there's action behind it. There's this sense of, there, there's, there's something happening, there's something coming down the road and I'm going to make decisions in light of that, in light of what's gonna happen in the future. I have a plan. And so he's like, good job for that. The rest of it, terrible, but good job for acting shrewdly. And now Jesus pulls out of this parable. And he begins to explain it to the crowd there that day and what it means. And so he says this. He says, good job for acting shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And so he talks about two kinds of people. The first group being what he calls the people of this world. And basically the people of this world, people of this age, 
just regular people, right? It's just this, it's people who are operating, who are living just like, well, this is just how things are. This is how the world works. This is how things are done. People of this world or people of this age are, are those who choose to live like all there is to this life is this life. That there's nothing bigger. There's nothing beyond this. It's all there is is what I can, what I can see and nothing else. Now, it doesn't mean that necessarily that's what those people believe. It's like, because like, there's this, this reality sometimes where it's like, well, I believe that there's something more. I believe there's something greater. I believe in God or I'm somewhat spiritual. But in the practicality of everyday life and the decisions that I make, I live like all there is is what I'm seeing and experiencing right now. It's like, that's the people of this world. But then he says there's the people of the light. The people of the light are who have had something revealed to them. They're the people that know God. And in the conversation that he's having with this crowd, that these are the Jewish people, mostly Jewish people that are there listening to Jesus. It's like, you guys know God. You've had, you, you have your scriptures. You, you know, you know, like you have, you've had some things revealed to you about how God's designed the world and how it works and how things are set up. And for us, that'd be those of us that call ourselves Christians. It's like, you have people of the world, you have people of the light, and oftentimes the people of the world, they think things through better. They take better like, advantage and opportunity and recognize I've got a limited time, I've got a limited opportunity, I've got some stuff, what am I going to do with it? It's like they, they're, they're more shrewd than the people of the light and the implication is it shouldn't be like that. But those of us that kind of have this kind of God-sized perspective go, wait a minute, I recognize that my time and opportunity are limited. I recognize that what I have is a gift from God. I recognize that one day, time's up. What am I going to do in the meantime? And so the money manager is commended then for taking advantage of the time and the opportunities that he had. Managing money that wasn't actually his, it was just his to manage. And for, again, those of us that are Christians or followers of Jesus, it's like, okay, God, Jesus, he is the rich man. We've been given some things to manage in our short time on earth. The question is, what do we do with it? What posture do we take towards it? Do we make it like the end goal and the thing that's most important? Or do we see it as, hey, this is a tool. It's just a means to an end. And God can use it for some incredible things. But after this, he, um, he's gonna give us some instruction and actually tell us to do something, tell us to obey something, give us like, hey, follow me in this way. And again, that's for those of us that are Christians. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to do this. But Jesus is talking to the people of the light. And he says this, I tell you, so hey, like pay attention. This is important. I tell you, Use worldly wealth. Use worldly wealth. And sometimes we read through passages, if you're someone like engages in scripture and hopefully uh, you're doing that if you're a follower of Jesus, but sometimes we'll skip past little words like use, like it's just use, that's not that important, but like it actually is because it tells you that like worldly wealth, we'll talk about that, is a tool. What are things that you use? You use tools. In fact, tools, whatever that tool is, whether it's a literal tool or, you know, wealth or whatever you have, a tool in your hand, a tool only has value if it's being used for something that's bigger than just the tool. Like the, the value of a tool comes whenever you use that thing to do something with it, right? Let me just, let me just talk to um, maybe some of the guys right now, okay? And, and, and if, if, you know, if you're here with, with your husband or a boyfriend or someone, like, no, no elbowing them, okay, when I say this, okay? We, we have a deal? Okay. So some of us guys, and I say us, because, okay, right, like I said, this is, we like to walk into certain stores, okay, that have lots of tools, okay? And we see these lots of tools, and we're like, man, that $700 saw right there, I need that, okay? And I'm going to buy that and I'm gonna take it home. And you're like, and even, I got a deal on it, right? It was, it was like the money manager. It was only 500, it was 700, whatever. It's like, I got a deal. 
And you're like, it's, it, but you know what? If you never use it, that tool has no value to you, right? It's like if I just use it and it sits, it has no value. It's when I use it that it becomes valuable. I'll tell you what, this is, in my world right now, this is a struggle, okay? For many of you, you know that, like, I do kind of mowing part-time on the side, done lawn care for a long time. This is it, okay? This is the last year. I'm done after this year, and which means I have, like, several. I've got three very expensive lawnmowers because they are tools to run a lawn business. But when I'm done, I don't need those anymore. I only need one to mow my yard, but I really want to keep all of them, okay? And it's like, no, because that has no value to me. It's only got value when you use it. And so Jesus is like, hey, use worldly wealth. What, like, worldly wealth, what's he talking about? There's, there's, there's this thing that's like, what, what is valuable in the eyes of the world around us? You know, again, that's money, it's opportunity, it's finances, it's, it's our house, it's a car, it's a vacation, it's, the, what, it's whatever. He says, he's like, there's a way to use that. Use it to gain friends for yourself. All right, that's the end of the message. Go home and buy friends, people. That's, that's the moral of the story. No, don't cut Jesus off mid-thought, okay? He says, use it to gain friends for yourself. But remember, what did he just say? He's just got done telling a story in which the money manager used worldly wealth and opportunity to buy friends for himself. The prescription is not, so you should do the same. Go buy friends for yourself. The prescription is use what you have, because here's the, the so that. So that when it's gone. Because again, this is, a, this is a thing about time and opportunity, that when what we have, when our stuff is gone, because for all of us someday, our stuff's gonna be gone. And even if we manage to hold on to our stuff until the very end of our lives, someday we're going to be gone and somebody else is going to get our stuff. And so it's like, you, whatever you have, use it so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That there's kind of this compare and contrast of worldly wealth, things that are worldly and things that are eternal. He's like, look, there's a way for you to use what you have now, no matter how much or how little it is, that you can do something with the temporary thing that you have now and the limited amount of time that you have now that makes an eternal difference. That that money is not the end in of itself. It's just a means to something greater. That it's a tool to be used. So maybe Jesus would say it this way, that money can add meaning to your life when you use it as a means to an end that goes beyond you when you use it as a tool towards eternal things, towards greater things, that our, our right now resources have the potential to make a forever difference. Here's one of the things that I think is super cool about following Jesus. Um, it's like, yes, yes, he, he, he loves us and he forgives us our sins and he gives us eternal life and he fills us with his spirit. Like there's all these things that are incredible and are awesome, but one of the things that I think so often gets overlooked is what he invites us into. Like whenever you, you decide to be a follower of Jesus, to put your trust in him, he says, okay, now I wanna invite you into something bigger than yourself. And so in the areas of the things that we have, he's like, you've got some stuff that's great, but now that you're following me, how about we turn some of your stuff into stories? How about we take what you have and you use it for stories of life change and kingdom good and making an eternal difference? There, there's this thing that could happen where as individuals, but also like collectively and as a church where we have the opportunity to say, I've got a little bit of stuff. How can I take my stuff and use it to tell a story of what God is doing in someone's life? Like I've I've got some stuff, but man, how can my stuff become a story of a marriage being healed? How can I use my stuff for my stuff to become a story of somebody getting set free from addiction? 
How, how can I, I got this stuff, how can my stuff become the story of, of kids hearing a message that they're loved and they're valued and God cares about them and he loves them and there's people that care about them regardless of their performance? How can, I, how can I use my stuff to tell stories that bring hope and joy and healing to people? I've got some stuff, but how can I turn that into a story? How can my money become a tool that's, that's something beyond me? And I, I'm telling you, and don't hear me saying that I get this right all the time because I don't because it's, a, it's like a season thing. It's like sometimes, yay, I'm doing it. And other times it's like, no, I'm not. But in those moments where, you, where, where we view our things in that way, there is a freedom in that. When we begin to kind of open up our hands and say, okay, I have some stuff. God, what do you want to do with it? Like all of a sudden when it becomes, hey, this is just a tool. It's just a means. It's not the end Man, my, my, my stress and my worry and anxiety isn't going up and down with every single news story that I hear or post that I see on, on social media about what's the economy going to do, where am I going to be okay? And my happiness, when, when it's like my stuff is just a tool, my happiness doesn't ebb and flow and go up and down based on whether or not I can remodel the kitchen or whether we can take that vacation. It's like, no, it's just, it's just stuff. God, what can you do with it? Like there's, there's such freedom such freedom in that. And don't hear me saying be irresponsible with your stuff, okay? I'm not saying, hey, when you go home, just sell everything you have. You don't have to live indoors or pay your bills. Don't do that. We gotta be responsible. We gotta make good decisions. The point is, as we evaluate the things that we do in the area of our finances, there's a lot of things that go into that equation. What am I gonna buy? What am I gonna save? How am I gonna pay for that? Like, there's a lot of things. But one of the things that should go into um, our factoring in that equation is this idea of, do I want stuff or do I want stories? And how can I use what I have, no matter what that is, to be a tool, to be a means to an end that's bigger than me? All right, two more verses. We're going to wrap this thing up. So Jesus continues on. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. And you're like, what? Little, much, trustworthy, dishonest? What's happening here? And he lands it and says this. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And so there's this, these two kind of competing ideas again. A couple of verses before, it was worldly wealth and kind of eternal dwellings. Now it's worldly wealth and true riches. And he's like, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, what you have in the here and now, in this limited time and limited opportunity, when the New Testament uh, talks about like there's these two competing kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of this present age or the kingdom of darkness. And basically, it's just, it's just the world operating as the world operates. Just people doing what comes naturally. It's this idea of, uh, 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 of like, you know, it's, it's what's best for me and my group at the expense of whoever it may hurt, right? Like, that's just kind of the system of the world. It's, it's let me get ahead no matter what the cost is. And he's like, in that world, there's a system of things that they consider to be valuable. But then there's this counter kingdom as well. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light. He says what's valuable in that kingdom are things like love, self-sacrifice and generosity and justice and mercy and, and, and looking out for the least of these and, and like God and his worship and, and loving your neighbors. Like these are the things that are valued in that kingdom. And so he's like, hey, if, you, if, if you've not been trustworthy in the little bit of time and the opportunity with the stuff that you have now, how will you be trustworthy with the things that are of true value, a kingdom kind of value? Are you about kingdom or are you about the world? And in that way, these two ideas that kind of compete. In that way, the way that we view and handle our stuff becomes a litmus test. Because no, ma no matter how much or how little you have or how much you have compared to someone else, that's not the point. The question is, what do I do with what I have? It ends up being a question of whose kingdom am I most devoted to, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of heaven and King Jesus? And 
that's ultimately what matters. That's the reason why Jesus talks about money as much as he does, and yet he never asks for any. Because he's not after our money. He doesn't need our money, right? Like, he's God. <laughs> he predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. I think he's good. He's like, I'm, I'm good. You keep your money. He doesn't need our money. He's after something bigger. He's after you. He's after me. He's after our heart. That's why elsewhere, you know, Jesus, when he's talking about money, says, hey, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. It's like, I don't care about your treasure, but I want your heart. And so the way that you view these things, it matters. It matters. At the end of the day, again, it's for those of us that are Christians. If you're not, you can completely blow me off. But at the end of the day, we can't be fully devoted followers of Jesus and not invite him into this area of life. We can't make the claim that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. I'm following him and say, yeah, except for this part over here. Like, I want to I keep that. I don't trust you with that. And I know that makes us really, really uncomfortable because in certain areas, maybe especially this area, it's just like, I have a hard time trusting God. It's like, I want to hold on to this because this is mine and I work for it and I don't know if I can trust you. The idea of having a king means, again, he has the authority and it's like, oh, I don't know. But let me just remind us as we wrap up that Jesus, he's not just any king. He's a king that can be trusted and the reason that he's a king that can be trusted is because he proved it. He demonstrated it on the cross. That he, he's a king who, who decided when he saw his people in greatest need that he would lay down his life for his people rather than like the kings and the kingdoms of the world demanding that their people lay down their lives for them. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm laying, you can trust me and I love you and I'm willing to die for you. He's a king who says, I wanna invite you into the way of human flourishing in every area of life. And I think he would say to us, if you want to flourish in this area, if you want to flourish in the area of money and finances, then it starts kind of with this realization that, that money's not the meaning of life. But if you see it and use it as a means to an end that goes beyond you, there's great freedom in that. Let's pray together. God, thank you just for who you are. Thank you for the love that you have for us that we don't have to guess about, we don't have to wonder about. We don't have to wonder or speculate, can we trust you? Do you love us? Uh, Lord, that's been settled. That was settled 2,000 years ago, Jesus, when you stepped onto this planet, when you gave your life on the cross so that we could be restored, so that we can have relationship with you, so that we can know your heart. And so we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Gotta pray in any area of life where we struggle to trust you. I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would strengthen us. You would give this, us just the, the boldness and the courage to take steps of trust, steps of faith towards you. God, I pray that we would be people that, that just see whatever we have, and whether that's money or time or whether that's a, a house or a car or what talents. God, that we see whatever we have as a gift from you and that we would see it as a tool that can be used for something that's so much bigger than ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.